Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. Anyways, um, announcements. We have some. Uh, Here they are. Coming up, we have a men's breakfast on June 19th. If you're a man, you can go to that. Uh, That's at 8.30. All this stuff also is on our website. So uh, talk to Andrew right here. He'd be happy to give it to you. I don't remember what it is, so I can't tell you. Anyways. We've also got a Mexico orphanage outreach trips planned. Yeah, that's a trip. Yep. yep. One of those. Yeah. There we go. A day trip. Yeah. Sweet. That's Saturday, June 26th, also on the website. Uh, and then we're having a 4th of July service at the Flores' house. So if you're not good with other people's things, please don't come because that's his house. But if, you're, if you'll take care of his house, come on and hang out with us. And then uh, coming up pretty soon, we're going to start connection groups again. We're going to have two different types of groups. Uh, one, have any of you guys seen the new Chosen series that's out? It's about Jesus, yeah. in case you don't know that. Um, we're going to have a group for people just to kind of watch those and break some of them down, talk about the episodes. Another group, we're focusing on healthy families. So it's more of a less of our typical small group thing and more of a let's learn how to be really good, healthy families together. That makes sense? If you have your Bibles, get them out. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5. Also, if you have any papers, things to write on them with, get them out. If you need any uh, note sheets or pens, there's a bunch on the tables over here. You can grab them. Second Kings chapter 5. So we've, we've recently been in a sermon series about characters in the Old Testament. Today we're going to be talking about a guy named Naaman. Anybody ever heard of that? You guys familiar with that story? Interesting, because his name has name in it, sort of, (laughs) phonetically anyways. Um, Some backstory for this guy. There was a place called Aram, not Aram, it's Aram, and it's what we, it's modern day Syria. And uh, this guy was, uh, he was kind of like a a general for that army. He, uh, He's the leader of their army. So my two sons, I've got a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, they would say that he's B.A. I can't say what that means because we're at church. Um, if you hear my kids saying that, smack him for me. But he's, he's tough. This guy is, he's a general and not just like a general like that sits in a suit in his office like he's out there with a sword fighting people. Tough guy. Some things to consider about him before we start reading. This guy's not a Hebrew. He's not from Israel. He's from Syria. It's a, an opposing country. They're at war with each other all the time. He didn't believe in the Hebrew God. That's the God we believe in, by the way. Old Testament, they called him Yahweh. So doesn't believe the same way that we do. Uh, his army, the Arameans or the Syrians then, they would invade other countries. It's kind of weird. They would invade, kind of pillage, plunder, whatever, take people, especially younger people, and then go back to their own countries and then not stay, not occupy the place that they just pillaged and plundered. And then uh, also about this guy Naaman, he had leprosy. You guys know what leprosy is? So uh, it's a skin disease. It's very gross. And before, if you got it, it would kill you. There wasn't a cure for it. It basically meant that you slowly start to rot from the outside in. You get these little patches of white stuff on your skin and it keeps growing and uh, parts of your body would start to fall off. 
you would, uh, some of you guys were picking your nose on the way to church. And if you had leprosy and you picked too hard, your nose would fall off. So it's not a good thing. Naaman, uh, so far his story's not starting out great. He, uh, we're going to read through the first roughly 15 verses of chapter 5, try to break it down a couple verses at a time. Um, the most important thing to consider when you're reading the Old Testament is we're learning stories about people, which is awesome. But there's principles that we need to find in these stories. And typically those, at least in my mind when I'm reading through them, I'm looking for three things. How does God interact with us as people? How we're supposed to interact with God? And then also how we're supposed to interact with the people around us. So we're going to start in verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Okay, so the first thing we're noticing, verse 1, we'll press pause. He is not a Hebrew, like we talked about, not an Israelite. He's winning battles for a pagan army. He's popular, he's famous, he's strong, he's successful. But what made him that way? It says, uh, by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. So think about that. By Naaman, the Lord gave victory to Syria. People who didn't believe in God, people who didn't trust God, people who weren't part of God's children, the Israelites. God initiated Naaman's victories. He favored him in battle. He blessed him with status and popularity and probably money and all the things that come with being that kind of warrior back then. Just because we have God's blessing, just because God anoints us in some way or we have some favor or we're a Christian, doesn't mean that our problems go away. Just by virtue of walking with Jesus, it doesn't mean that we're immune to the things that come up in life and just by being alive in the world. I'm, uh, I'm always amazed at uh, people who think that just because you give your life to Jesus, our problems disappear. Life gets better, right? Like, uh, like with Naaman... Just because God blessed him, all of a sudden he's supposed to be immune to things like leprosy and problems and issues. Who told us that? Anybody ever heard stuff like that? Like, hey, Jesus is going to make things better for you. They try to sell you on Jesus by painting a picture of an easier, better life. That was, that was a lot of what I was told as a kid. Right? I've got one other person that's heard that with me, so <laughs> tracking with me. God never promises that. The Bible doesn't ever offer any sort of immunity card to the issues and problems in the world. One of my buddies, a super successful guy, with a huge house, super and no, none of you guys know him, so don't try to figure out who it is. You won't be able to. Um, he was a Christian for a long time, like his whole life. He was in ministry. He uh, really successful at it too, successful in his career, made a lot of money. He, he was having a bunch of marital issues, and he came over to hang out with me and talk about it one time. And he kept talking about how he's been a Christian for so long and he trusts God and he's walked with God and he's been good. And uh, because he's been that way, God is supposed to make his marriage better. Because he's been good, because he's walked with Jesus, the onus and the responsibility is on God 
to provide him a good, easy marriage with his wife. And he, he felt like God had abandoned him and was letting him down. He couldn't figure out what he had done wrong. And I asked him, where, where in the Bible does it say that if you're a good Christian and a nice husband, that God's going to make your marriage really good? It's, it's not in there. Same thing with your careers, with your school, with your other relationships, with your friends. Just because you're a Christian, just because you walk with Jesus, there's no promise that it's going to be easy or it's going to be good. The promise is that Jesus is with us in the uneasiness. Naaman had a disease, right? A dis-ease. We might not have a disease, but there's a lot of things that make our life dis-easy. Does that make sense? Jesus promises to be with us in the uneasiness, not to give us immunity to it. From it, to it, from it. Any English teachers? Somebody correct me. Send me an email, whatever. Okay, back in verse 2. The Syrians, on one of their raids, carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my lord Naaman were with the prophet who was in Israel, he would cure him of his leprosy. So we'll stop there for a second. It's not like one of my points per se, but we need to be more like this Hebrew girl. So not only was she a servant to this dude Naaman and his family, but she was kidnapped from her home by Naaman and his army. And now she's forced to be a servant or a slave to Naaman's wife. And the house of the guy who led her captors to come and kidnap her. And she says, hey, so this guy Naaman has leprosy, and if only he could go find this prophet at Israel and meet God. Go find God over here. So think about if I was that girl, when I went to bed at night, I would not have said that. I wouldn't have gone to anybody and said, hey, I, there's hope for this guy. I know, I know how he can get help. I would have went to bed and I would have said, yeah, leprosy, get him. Eat his face off. Make him lose an ear. Lose some toes. Get his nose, you know? She didn't do that. She pointed him to God. The man that enslaved her and probably her family and her friends she still points them to God. If you're taking notes, write this down. Even when people mistreat you, point them to Jesus. If a girl who was forced into slavery could do that with Naaman, we could do it. Any of you guys ever had a bad boss? Keegan, you used to work with me. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Anybody had a, a mean or very disagreeable parent? A mean sibling? I have five of them. One of them's here. Not, no, I have five siblings. Not all of them are mean. Some of them were. The one who's here is not mean. She's, hey, Glow. Love you. Be like that servant girl, regardless of people taking advantage of you, stealing from you, hurting you, abusing you. You have to point them to God. You point them to Jesus every time. Anyways, back to verse 4. So Naaman went in and told his lord, that's his king, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. In, our, in modern currency today, that's a buttload of money. That's a lot of money. Anyway, verse 6. And he brought a letter to the king of Israel, which read, This letter, or when this read, letter reaches you, know that I've sent you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. 
And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends me a word to me to cure this man of leprosy? Only consider and see that he is seeking a quarrel with me. But Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. And he said to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may know there's a prophet in Israel. So it, in case, this also not part of my thing, but in case you guys want to read about another guy that's B.A. in the Bible, it's Elisha. Elisha's rad because he contends with people like this. He pretty much tells his own king, like, quit being so dramatic, stop reading your shirt off, keep your clothes on, send him my way, I'll figure it out for you. Anyways, verse 9. Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be clean. So check it out. Elisha sent a messenger to him. Naaman comes. He's got a group of people with him. He's got a bunch of money with him. He's got a bunch of changes of clothes with him. He's got all his servants. He's at the gate at Elisha's house, and Elisha doesn't come out. He sends a messenger to him. Y'all, be like Elisha. If you're writing down notes, write this down. Be wise enough to not get involved with some people. We don't have to be everyone's hero. A lot, like for a long time, I felt like it was my job to lead every person that I met to Jesus. Everybody that need help, it was, on, it was incumbent upon me to go help them. Every time, every person. We run around, some of us, I did, like I was God's only chance to reach the world or the people around me. If that's, if that, when I felt like that, I had a very small view of God very small view of God's power. If you feel like that, if every time somebody needs help or, or there's something that has to be done, if you feel like, oh, I have to do all the things, challenge your view of God. Do we believe that God is all-powerful? Yes. yes. All-knowing. Yes. Fully capable. Yes. Better than we are at reaching and helping people. Sure. Absolutely. If we think that we're responsible for every person we meet, we're underestimating God's power. None of us are that guy, and it's okay not to get involved with everyone. Just the other night, uh, me, my wife, and my kids went to a little graduation party for my daughter. She's graduating preschool. Yay. Sad face. And we were at the gas station right down the street by the jail. And uh, some of you guys, I see you looking at the tattoos. I saw the looks. You think maybe I was at jail. Never, haven't been to jail. But a guy that had just got out of jail was there, and he came up to me, and it was kind of late at night, and he said, hey, I need a ride. Can you give me a ride? And I said, nope, because I've got my wife and my kids in the car, and I don't know who you are. I can get you something to eat. I can get you a soda. I'm not giving you a ride. You have to know the difference between the people that you have to help or the people that God's put in your life to help and the people that you're not supposed to. You don't have to be involved with everybody. That other night, it's not that I lacked faith that God would protect me and my family if I helped this guy and gave him a ride. I had enough faith to know that even if I left him there, God's big enough, bad enough, powerful enough to send somebody else to give the dude a ride. Also, there's city buses, one of the common graces of Jesus today, right? You don't have to get involved with everybody all the time. Don't be that guy. Don't be that person that feels the stress and the weight of reaching everybody all the time.
Okay, back to verse 10. Elisha sent a messenger, messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry. He went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me, call upon the name of his God, wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farper? Is that, that's a thing, right? That's what it says, I think. It's the name of a river. Farper, whatever. The rivers of Damascus, are they not better than all of the waters in Israel? Could I not wash in them and be cleaned? So he turned and went away in a rage. Okay, there's a lot to talk about right here. First, Naaman's angry. He expected Elisha to come running out there, probably because he's got this big entourage of people and all this money and all this stuff. And he thought Elisha would come out and just wave his hand. Naaman would be healed. Naaman would be cured and it'd be over with. It'd be done. Naaman was looking for an instant healing or an instant cure or a single experience from God to fix his problem. Instead, Elisha gave him a direction, go that way to the river and a process to be restored. Dunk seven times. Very rarely does God give us an instantaneous cure for our problems. Most of the time, he's giving a direction and a process to be restored. He gives us a process to repair what we already have. Remember the car question? It was a trick, and it was the only question I could think of that closely related to this. So if you don't think it relates, I don't care. It happened 20 minutes ago. We're past that. God gives us a process to restore what he's already given us, to restore what we already are, what he's already made in us. It's not, a, very rarely is it a singular, like, feel-good, sensational, quick experience. And don't get me wrong, like, I've seen God do amazing thing, things in people's lives. I've seen amazing miracles, things that if I said you guys would think I was nuts, people would think it was crazy. But it's not the norm. If you read the Bible for more than five minutes, you will see over and over and over that God offers direction and a process for restoration rather than an instant cure or instant relief from your problem. The process for Naaman was to go to the river and dunk seven times. There's nothing special about him doing that seven times. Uh, he, early Hebrew authors, there's, Hebrew literature is really clever. And anytime you see seven in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's much less about doing something seven times or having, having seven of something. Okay, so think about it. There's over and over. There's do this seven times or there were seven of these or they had seven of those. Jesus said seven final statements on the cross. There's seven spirits of God listed in Revelation. So there's, there's seven all over the place. It's representative of something. It's, it's very rarely the case that somebody actually goes and does something seven literal times. The author here is trying to teach us a principle. So seven in the Bible, some of us, some of us have been taught or we think from TV shows or whatever, seven means lucky or fortunate or perfect or flawless. It means God. A lot of Christians just put seven on everything thinking, oh yeah, I got God marked all over my mirror and my whatever and this and that. Seven isn't any of those, those things. When you see seven in the Bible, it means thorough, complete, enough, all the way. In Arkansas, we'd say show enough, show enough. It means all the way. 
Elisha didn't give Naaman a prescription to be cured. Take seven of these and you're good to go, buddy. He gave him a principle. The principle is this. If you want to write it down, you can. You have a problem. You can't fix it. And God has a process to restore you. Take your problems to the river and dunk in it. And not, it's not dunk seven times. It's you dunk and you dunk and you dunk and you wash and you dip and you drown that problem in the river until it's thoroughly resolved, until it's all the way done. And so for us, when I'm thinking about this, I think to myself, Ephraim, self, I'm not sick or contaminated or diseased. I don't have leprosy. But consider this. So leprosy is also called the wasting disease. What's wasting you? I had to wrestle with this for a long time. What's wasting me? What are the things that are eating me up? What's my spiritual leprosy? It's anything and everything that makes us afraid or ashamed to approach God or other people. Sin, depression, anger, anxiety, addiction, bitterness, old memories. That was a big one for me. Getting over things that I was ashamed of from 20 years ago, from middle school. I'm in my 30s. Who cares? It was middle school. But I've held on to those things for a long time. It's like I was holding a spot of leprosy in my hand. These are the things that we drag to the river and we dunk and we dunk and we wash and we drown them in God's healing provision in the principle that Elisha was teaching to Naaman. You know what the river is? Think about how many times Jesus referred to himself as water. The wellspring of life, the river of living water, the living water, so much so that when you get to know Jesus, inside of you comes flowing a river of living water. You take your problems to Jesus and you dunk them and you dunk them way more than seven times. You dunk them as many times as it takes until they're thoroughly restored or thoroughly healed or God thoroughly fixes what that thing is. This would have been a hard thing for me to uh, even consider when I was in my 20s because I remember going to different churches or having different youth leaders that I would go and uh, I'd tell them if I was struggling with a sin or a bad attitude or things going on in my life. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I got told that if I kept coming back to God with this thing, that he'd be offended by it. If I prayed with sin in my heart, God wouldn't hear me. He'd shut his ears to me. If I ever checked out a girl's butt again in high school, God would be so mad and he wouldn't talk to me anymore. If I smoked weed again, for some reason that would stop my connection with God. If I drank more, if I, if I didn't stop being so depressed and complaining all the time, if I didn't get over my anxiety and just trust God better, it would offend him eventually. On, the only thing God ever told me with regard to bringing him all of my stuff, all of my leprosy that I carried around for my whole life, was keep coming back. Keep dunking and washing and drowning that thing in me until it's thoroughly resolved. Jesus is so much bigger 
than the things we carry around, the things that cause us to be ashamed and hide from him and not to interact with other people. And he's so gracious and good to us that he says, you can come and dunk in me not only seven times, but as many times as you need. And when you're done dunking and you go back into the world and you pick up the same problems and the same sickness and you get leprosy on your other hand, guess what? You come back and you dunk and you dunk and you dunk over and over and over again until, until it's thoroughly done. So the, this whole story in Naaman is, had I been able to realize this when I was younger, especially in my teenage years, it would have changed the way that I've interacted with God and people for the last 15 years of my life. There's a handful of younger people here. Think about this. Please consider it. Because as you go into your 20s and your 30s, you'll realize you've got things in your pockets, things in your brain, little pieces of these leprosies that you pick up from other people and yourself that cause an interference between you and God. They shouldn't. That interference isn't God. He's inviting you, inviting you to come and dunk and keep dunking and keep dunking. Even if you keep making the mistakes, God isn't mad. He's not sending you away. He's inviting you to come back and keep dunking in the river that he gives you. And the river is Jesus. I want to leave you guys with two things to consider. Um, in verse 12... Naaman says, are not Abana and Farper, I think that's how you say it, not sure, the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters in Israel? Could I not wash in those and be clean? So these rivers were closer to his home. I think it's safe to assume that he was used to them. He would probably swam in them or washed in them before. The things that you're used to to make you feel better the rivers that you normally dunk in to feel better or restored or to get help, the places in your life that you go to be restored that are not Jesus will not restore you. The things outside of Jesus that you depend on to restore you, your mind or your heart or your emotions or your morality, they won't work. Naaman had to travel all the way to Jordan away from his usual comforts, his usual rivers, the things that he was used to, to get his healing. That was part of his process. We have to travel to Jesus. We have to spend time with him. We pray by ourselves and with other people. We pray for ourselves and for other people. Stop doing the same things that don't work. And lastly, I want to read in verse 15. The worship team can come up. Um, it says, Then he returned to the man of God and all his company, and he came and stood and said, Behold, I now know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. If the rivers that you guys normally dunk in, the things that you go to, for just reprieve from the issues and the problems or the pain or the memories or the anxiety or the shame or whatever it is, the things that you typically go to, if at the end of those things you don't stand there 
and have some revelation of God. And if they don't point to Jesus, you're wasting your time with those things. And don't get me wrong. It's fine to have hobbies. It's fine to have fun. It's fine to have comforts, to enjoy things. But if those things are things that you need, like there's a difference between you go and you sip on a nice bourbon with a friend. There's a difference between that and then you coming home and you say, I need a drink. I need this. I need that. If those things that you need are not revealing God to you or pointing to Jesus, you're wasting your time with them. It's not like a morality thing or a be good or don't do this stuff. or It's not that at all. If the thing doesn't reveal God to you and point to Jesus, stop wasting your time with it. Go find Jesus. Go dunk in Jesus. And if you dunk in Jesus, if you spend time with him and you don't feel better, Naaman had to do it seven times. You keep dunking. You keep dipping in it. You keep trying to drown that thing that's separating you and God. God's really good to us. God, man, I, if I had all day, I could tell you all the ways that God's been so good to me. The biggest way, my favorite thing about God is that he never says that's enough. You've dunked enough. I need a break. You're wearing me out. I'm tired of you. He calls himself a river that just keeps flowing that you can go to and dunk in anytime you want, as many times as you want, until you're thoroughly restored, all the way restored, 100%. Show enough. Think about that this week. We're not having small groups. We're not going to be able to talk about this and get everybody's opinion. Think about it on your own. What kind of leprosy have you been carrying around? And then how do you get to Jesus to dunk in the provision that he gets us? How do you exercise the principle that Elisha's giving us in this story? Let's pray. Jesus, you're the best. God, you're so gracious. You're so good to us. God, and I'm so thankful that for me and my family, all the times we've come to dunk in you, to wash in you, to be restored by you, you always invite us back. And you let us keep going and keep dunking. God, I pray for everybody here, everybody that hears this. God, I pray that they would know that they can go dunk in you and wash in you. God, that they can be restored in you. And they don't need to be ashamed when they go out and they pick up the same dirt and the same contaminations and the same issues. That they can keep coming back as often as needed until they're fully restored. God, we worship you. We bless you. We praise you. God, we're here to tell you that you're the greatest. You're the coolest. You're so much different than anything that we have, than anything that we experience, than anything that we look for help in. God, you're better than all of it. And for areas in our lives that we don't realize that we're thinking something else is better than you or using something because we think it works better than you, God, I pray that you'd make us know. Talk to us. Tell us, help us to avoid the same rivers that we think are working and go find it in you, that we'd find our restoration in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go toaccesschurch.com.